0: It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Coming up on episode number 35 of Sports Day Plus. 645, where are we at in society, Mac Brown takes issue with the rival coach using some foul language about his team. At 6:15, it is the first of a two-segment chat with Sammy P, aka Sam Paniadovich, getting you d ready for the football weekend. And a mere seconds. We are taking a look at Week 16 in the NFL, including two huge matchups, one involving the Cowboys. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at CourtesyWave and do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. Well, for much of this NFL season, you have heard me lament that it's a down year for the NFL. And in a sense, a down year across football. There isn't that dominant team in college football this year, or those dominant teams. Thankful that Texas is in the college football playoff. I feel like they've got a great chance to win the whole darn thing. And that's part of the reason why. Texas might be the most complete team in this playoff right now, but we shall see here in less than two weeks. But the NFL... Uh, do have some teams at the top, a lot of teams in the middle and uh, then those bottom dwellers as well. but it does feel like the largest chunk of teams does reside somewhere around uh, six and six or seven and six or I guess uh, eight and six or eight and seven or seven and eight. Or six and eight right now. And the matchups this weekend bear that out. Just looking at tonight's matchup, the Saints and the Rams. Everybody feels better about the Rams right now. Guess what, though? These two teams have the same record. Seven and seven. Look at the games on Saturday. Cincy and Pittsburgh, eight and six versus seven and seven. Buffalo, who a lot of teams feel like might be. The one of the teams to beat, you can't completely neglect Baltimore, despite the fact they suffered another big injury to their offense last weekend. Buffalo's at 8-6 right now. The One of the first games on Sunday, the Colts and the Falcons, 8-6 six versus 6-8. Six By the way, the Falcons could still very easily win their division. Cleveland and Houston, 9-5 and 8-6. And and Minnesota, 7-7. Seven seven. Seattle, 7-7. Seven seven. Tampa Bay, 7-7. Seven and, seven. and so on and so forth. But there are actually two really good matchups in the NFL this weekend. Two matchups that I'm excited about. You could argue the third best matchup this weekend is Cleveland versus Houston. But it looks like it's going to be backup quarterback versus backup quarterback again. Last thing I saw, C.J. Stroud was likely going to miss the game this Sunday. Meaning Davis Mills is starting once again. And... If that happens, yeah, he was absent from practice earlier today. And the reporters covering this team said safe to assume he's out for their Week 16 matchup against the Browns. Cleveland, without Deshaun Watson, of course. Joe Flacco brought back from the dead. Somehow Joe Flacco still has a little bit left in the tank when guys like Matt Ryan and Phillip Rivers are completely done for. But he's also coming back down to earth now. So it's backup quarterback versus backup quarterback. Still the third best matchup this week, which speaks to a strange amount of parity in the NFL this year. But those two good matchups this weekend are the Cowboys at the Dolphins. That's a 325 game on Sunday. And then Monday night football. Remember, Monday is Christmas. You get a Christmas triple header with the NFL, starting with Vegas at KC at noon, the Giants and Eagles at 330. And then at 7-15, it is that true Monday night football slot where the Baltimore Ravens travel to face the 49ers in the Bay Area. So Dallas and Miami and Baltimore and San Francisco. Baltimore and San Francisco are the best teams in their respective conference, both at 11-3, whereas Miami still has a legitimate chance to gain that one seat on the AFC side of things. If they went out, it means they beat Baltimore next week. And at the very worst, they would tie Baltimore for the best record, but they would have the one-upsmanship because they would have that head-to-head win. And the Dallas Cowboys, who are trying to get back on track after being completely embarrassed at Buffalo last Sunday. I don't know which fan base should be more optimistic right now, Baltimore or Dallas. I think it's probably Baltimore, though. Baltimore, who feels extremely slighted, being five-and-a-half-point dogs to San Francisco. Apparently, they haven't been paying attention to what San Francisco has been doing to teams much of this year. With, I want to say, nine of their 11 wins coming by 12 or more points. And again, this is a parity-filled league this year, but San Francisco is still kicking the crap out of good teams too. Baltimore, definitely a good team. They are in that batch of four or five good teams, that you should you could say. But they're not San Francisco, especially a healthy San Francisco. San Francisco starts dealing with some of the injury issues that Baltimore has for several weeks now. Yeah, Debo Samuel goes down again, or George Kittle, or Christian McCaffrey. All possible, by the way. Three guys with big-time injury histories. All of a sudden, Brock Purdy comes plummeting back down to earth, too, like what we saw a little bit more than a month and a half ago. So that'll be a fascinating one on Monday night. And that Cowboys-Dolphins matchup is intriguing for a couple of reasons too. Good teams, while they suffer letdowns, game-long letdowns like what happened against the Bills last Sunday, good teams rise up to the challenge and don't wilt even further when one little bad thing happens. And it would be surprising to see the Cowboys get their butts kicked again like that. I think that they've shown a sort of resilience already this year on both sides of the ball, but especially on defense where some pride comes into play and they maybe do some different things to do a better job at stopping the opposing rushing attack. But there's a problem right there because Miami is still really good at running the football and they need to be good at running the football against Dallas this Sunday because it looks like Tyreek Hill might miss another week with that ankle injury. And if he's out, it completely changes the complexion of that passing attack with Tua Tungvaluwa, Jalen Waddell, and some other nice pieces on that side of the ball. None of those guys stirs that drink like Tyree Kill, who up to this point was on pace to set a receiving record, season single season receiving record for, I believe, receptions and yards. Definitely the yards part, possibly the receptions part too. Even if you take into account... Yards per game. He was going to break Calvin Johnson's record through 16 games. But if he's out, the challenge becomes a little bit simpler for Dallas, but they've still been really bad against good rushing attacks this year, and Miami runs the ball well. They have different guys they can put back there, too. And ultimately, I think that's part of the reason why Miami wins this game. Miami's defense is pretty solid as well. Be curious to see what they do against this Cowboys offense. But how does the Dallas offense regroup? Dak Prescott plays his worst game of the year. Tony Pollard was okay, but Dallas couldn't really run the ball past a certain point. They did have to try and push the ball downfield a little bit more. Baltimore, San Francisco. Look, Baltimore, I would love to believe in you. You've been a very weird team this year. Congratulations on making it to 11-3. I think that's partially being the beneficiary of playing in such a weird, parody-filled league this year. But San Francisco is a cut above everybody else in the National Football League right now, period. They stay healthy, they are winning it all. It's that simple. Every team stays as healthy as they are right now. Some teams can maybe even get a little bit healthier. But if every team stays as healthy or gets a little bit healthier as they are going forward, all the contenders I'm talking about, San Francisco will be lifting that Super Bowl trophy come February. Very sturdy limb I'm going out on there, but I'm still doing it nonetheless. Look at this. Giants and Eagles is a Monday night game or a Monday afternoon game, as I mentioned. Jacksonville, Tampa Bay has some intrigue, I guess. Tampa's at 7-7 right now, though. Jacksonville can't get out of their own way. Detroit, Minnesota. Minnesota, they've got Jefferson back now. They're 7-7. They are fighting for their playoff lives. It looks like Detroit may have gotten its act together last week, but who knows? As I mentioned, Saints and Rams tonight, 7-7 versus 7-7. By the way, I am totally fine admitting when I'm wrong. I had a take at the beginning of the year that was way off base. I assumed this would be it for Sean McVay in L.A. That this is the year that that franchise really crashes back down to earth from them leveraging their future several years ago to win a Super Bowl, which they did. But a lack of draft picks, draft capital... And them also handing out a bunch of big-time contracts to their stars at the time would hamstring them down the road. I thought this is the year that we would really see that happen, and it hasn't. Matter of fact, the Rams have a lot of people starting to believe them, in them based on how they've played over the last few weeks. So I guess stay tuned tonight. All right, coming up, it is a two-segment conversation with my friend Sam Paniadovich, getting you Dgens ready for the football weekend. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Usually you hear my next guest on Fridays during football season, helping you d get ready for the football weekend. But we're doing things a little bit differently with Christmas being on Monday. Therefore, my friend Sam Paniatovich, a.k.a. Sammy P, joins me to talk about the best matchups this weekend in the NFL and to a lesser degree, college football. He is the main sports handicapper on Nesson in Boston. Contributes to foxsports.com as well. And he has the Chicken Dinner podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SP Shoot. Sam, always a pleasure. How are we doing this Thursday?
1: Doing good, man. Just getting ready to uh, hopefully attack another weekend, have some more uh, decent picks, and uh, you know, try not to get too crazy, I guess.
0: Well, you're being modest right now because you went 4-0 on these airwaves last Friday, and this is a string of highly successful picks that you've given out to the people for free. I want to say the previous week was 4-0-1. There was a 4-1 before that, too. You are crushing it right now, my friend.
1: I appreciate that. Um, unfortunately, though, what happens last week doesn't really affect what happens this week. And, <laughs> you know, I, I did in, in September. I want to say I started in September like two and eight. Mm. And it's been a really decent run uh, since the first of October. It's been a a green season. Um, but this bowl season, too, uh, has been I've only made, let's see, two bowl bets so far and and one of the games the other day is uh, sort of in your neck of the woods. It was UTSA against Marshall. <laughs> and I, I found out that Frank Harris was not going to play like 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And, and that didn't come out until moments before kickoff. And the line went from 12 down to as low as 7 for the Roadrunners being favored. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, Harris is out. And everybody was running to bet Marshall. And once he officially got ruled out, the Marshall money never stopped. <laughs> UTSA won 35-17. It didn't even matter because the backup came in and balled out. And I think that's what makes this bowl season so difficult. Not only are there the normal opt-outs and transfers, but there's a lot of last-minute stuff that's catching a lot of people off guard.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, as somebody who doesn't really put a lot of money on games, I think I would stay away from bowl season altogether with a couple of exceptions. Like the semifinal game, or the semifinal games are one thing in the championship game because... You have your your full cast of characters, your full roster, hopefully, unless there's an injury, of course. Really haven't been coaching changes, like Texas, for instance. Their linebackers coach is uh, about to start coaching Nevada. I think he's officially on that job now, but he's staying with the Longhorn program to try and see the job through this season. Other than that, though, you really have to cherry-pick because... So much is up in the air and you just have no idea what backups who really haven't had significant tank playing time all season, but are now thrust into starting roles because their teammates have decided they want to go to a new school next season and that process starts before the bowl games are over with.
1: I know. And you look at, you know, these games on Thursday, December twenty eighth, for example. I know this is a week away, but like I have no idea who's playing for Miami. Miami is going through a really interesting time right now. Obviously their quarterback, Van Dyke, uh, is in the portal. Their backup uh, blew his knee out, I believe. So like we're, we're trying to figure out like who's playing for Miami. And of course you, you read the press clippings and you see what's going on. And it's like, it might be this guy. It might be that guy. But it's impossible to break down games, I think, ahead of schedule um, more, than, more than any other year. Like, you know, things are coming out for bowl games tomorrow, today. So it, it's very difficult to look at games, you know, especially games like Memphis, Iowa State, uh, Notre Dame, Oregon State. Both of the quarterbacks have opted out. <laughs> uh, Hartman's not going to play for Notre Dame. Uyungle lays out at Oregon State. He's in the portal. So you got backup quarterback against backup quarterback, and then you're trying to figure out which backup has an edge. And it's just – it's very frustrating because we we try and make these – educated guesses on these games and and you know i I know you're not going to ask me about the sun bowl and i'm glad you're not because i have no idea what's going to (laughs) happen
0: you do have one college game amongst your money picks this week and you actually go a couple different ways with this game too that would be northwestern and utah for the srs distribution las vegas bowl Utah has uh, had some guys into the portal, I want to say a backup quarterback. Utah's been very weird in bowl season, too, and it's not a game that matters. Utah does tend to lay eggs, and therefore you do like uh, Northwestern as six-and-a-half-point dogs right now. Why?
1: I like uh, the cats and the under, and uh, we go way back to our days in Chicago. You know me. I'm not the biggest uh, Kitty Meow fan in the world. I I think their fans are just super phony and super (laughs) soft. Because they, you know, they lose every big game they play in in Big Ten play, but that's neither here nor there. I guess you have to put that stuff aside. This total is uh, is, is running down too, and I do like under forty one and a half. But taking the points with Northwestern, I think motivationally this team has a lot to play for. And you think about what happened not only last season at Northwestern when they were just atrocious. I mean, it, you know, they, they they couldn't do anything right last year. They went one and eleven, and then Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, has the scandal and he gets launched. I mean, Northwestern's win total, Trey, was three this year. They overachieved and then some. David Braun did an outstanding job. Wildcats go seven and five. I mean, look, that's not an outstanding season, but given what he inherited and given the the shambles the program was in, the guy did a bang-up job. So the Cats actually want to play in this game, and I've been talking to people around the program that say, yeah, like they really want this game. Meanwhile, Utah is one of the top opt-out leaders. You've you got a lot of guys leaving that program for greener pastures. Uh, Cam Rising, their quarterback coming into the season, never played this year. It's been a, a funky year for Utah. I think the Cats are going to win this game like 17 to 14. It's going to be a lower and slower game. Cats play good defense, a field position battle. So I do like the under at 41 and a half, But there's a lot of correlation between Northwestern and the under. And this will be a tight game, one possession game. I like plus six and a half on the dog and really think the under is a strong bet. So, yeah, I I like both the dog and the under. You can get six and a half on Northwestern and go under 41 and a half. This is going to be a really ugly football game. You might not want to watch it. Just look at the final score when it's all said and done.
0: There are a couple of other college games that I like over the next week, and I'll give some explanation as to why. And we'll start with the Tax Act Texas Bowl in Houston, actually playing where the Texans play and where the national championship game will be this year. But the Texas Bowl means significantly less than even your uh, average preseason Texans game. I know that because Texas has been in the Texas Bowl far too often over the last decade. But it's AM at Oklahoma State, and I think a is a great example of a program that's dealing with that off-season double whammy. So it's one thing when you're accounting the transfer portal. That's like a, a team, a program being gimpy, let's say. When we're dealing with heavy transfer portal losses on top of a coaching change. And so you got a bunch of, I don't know, backup coaches. Like, who's coaching for a right now? The fact that a and has this many guys in the transfer portal who are productive players for them on both sides of the ball, and we have no clue who's coaching them, Oklahoma State is fairly unscathed right now with all of that. So I think Oklahoma State, as two-point dogs right now, that is easy money to me.
1: I, uh, I wouldn't fight you on that one. I didn't put a single dollar down. I'm looking right now. The, uh, the interim head coach, Elijah Robinson, got hired as Syracuse's new defensive coordinator. So, I mean, it's like, all right, he's going to coach this bowl game, but he's almost two feet out the door. And this is one of the bets we talked about last week when we did uh, North Dakota State and Montana. And I said, Trey, the North Dakota State coach is literally leaving for USC at the end of this postseason run, and you know he's recruiting for USC now, and, yep. and they came out and had nine points for like 56 minutes. They were awful. They were unprepared. They didn't look ready to play, and, and I think a lot of that is, is similar at A&M. I mean, look, man, we've been in bad relationships in our lives before, <laughs> you and I. You know, you just sometimes they, they hang on too long because nobody really wants to end it, that that, that's Texas A&M season in a nutshell. It's just been, it's just been a chaotic year. And and I can't imagine that these players are going to be pumped up to play in this game. Meanwhile, Oklahoma state's got, you know, they got some motivational, I think, I think they're ready to go. I mean, I, I, the market clearly agrees with you too, because this opened a a half, and now it's down to two. So it's gone through the three, which is pretty telling. There are some wise guys on the pokes Um, so yeah, I I think Oklahoma state, I mean, if you made me bet this one, like if I had to pick it in a contest or something, it would be Oklahoma state or pass, but I, there's no way I'm putting my money on A&M given all the things that have happened this year.
0: It's sad when even a top 15 matchup doesn't do a whole lot for you, like the Alamo Bowl down in San Antonio. It is on Thursday, December 28th. It's Arizona versus Oklahoma, 14 versus 12. Arizona, one of the surprise teams in college football this year. Oklahoma didn't achieve their goals necessarily, but here they are at the end of the season, uh, a top 12 team. They're going to be without Dylan Gabriel, and they have also are one of those programs who have been gouged by the transfer portal so far. So considering that Arizona is building, and, and Oklahoma is trying to reload right now, even though there aren't major coaching changes, uh, Arizona as three-point favorites uh, does seem like the way that this line should be going, and I ultimately, I feel like Arizona is going to f- win by a touchdown or more.
1: Arizona really just had an outstanding season, given their, their program and, and what they've done in years past, and I I, I don't know, man. I feel like there's going to be a lot of points, no matter what. Like That's sort of the handicap. It's, it's sort of a lazy handicap, but I mean, these two defenses couldn't stop a nosebleed. I know there are opt-outs at Oklahoma, but Sooners still have a lot of really talented guys. I mean, they got they got freshmen and sophomores that can come in and ball. But don't be surprised if this Jackson Arnold kid, the freshman quarterback, uh, who is the heir apparent under center. That's why Dylan Gabriel left. They really like this uh, this Arnold kid, who's from uh, who's from Texas. Actually, went to Guyer High School. I think he's going to put points up, and, and Arizona clearly can score too. So you look at this total, sixty-two. That feels like it's high, but it's probably not high enough, man. I mean, this game could very easily be 37 to 30, 38, 31, something like that. So I lean to the over in that one. This backup can fling it at Oklahoma.
0: All right, there is the college side. We'll spend more time on the NFL side. Coming up on the other side with Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P, lead sports handicapper at Nessun in Boston, joins this show weekly to get you d ready for the football season. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Elling. Back for one more segment with Sam Paniadovich, a.k.a. Sammy P. He is the lead sports handicapper at Nessun in Boston, contributes to FoxSports.com, has the Chicken Dinner podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at SPShoot. And here I'm on these airwaves, usually Friday starting at about 6.15. Today it's Thursday because, well, Christmas after all. All right, Sam, looking at the NFL now, there are actually two really good matchups this weekend, so uh, that is where we're going to start here. Neither of your money games are these games, but these are the games that people care most about, beginning with the Dallas Cowboys and the Miami Dolphins. Dallas, uh, unfortunately for Cowboys fans, is reeling right now after uh, an absolute beatdown at the hands of the Buffalo Bills last Sunday. And this is a team that is wildly inconsistent on the road this year. So it's unfortunate for them that they are now playing a Dolphins team in Miami that is aiming for the one seed in the AFC. Dolphins are one and a half point favorites right now. Over under is 49 and a half. Anything you like about this game? I'm not going to bet
1: against Dallas again. You know, we did that last week and I was very happy with the performance by Buffalo and Buffalo looks like they're getting hot at the right time, that's for sure. But this looks so easy to go against Dallas again, and I'm just – I'm not there. You know, I'm not Johnny-come-lately, or at least I try not to be. Um, This is sort of a game where I I look to the total, and, you know, these Dallas totals have been pretty high all season long. But Miami's defense has actually been pretty decent, like, you know, for the last five games. Now, you could look at their schedule and go, well, they played the Jets, they played the Commanders, played the Raiders, but – now they've made some changes. Vic Fangio has done a good job with that defense this year. And look, I, I think the absence of Tyree kill and, and let's just assume he doesn't play because that's sort of what it looks like. It changes their entire offense, man. Like they just, they aren't the same team with Tyree kill not out there and, and you know, they're calling him questionable right now. I, I don't know, man. I, I would say 65 35. He's out. Uh, he missed practice on Wednesday. I don't think he's going to practice the rest of the week and they'll see what's going to go on. But I mean, without him, it just makes it so much easier to guard that attack. So that's a long way of me saying, I think 50 is too high. This open 52, it's come down a little bit. It probably keeps going like it might close forty-nine and a half, forty-nine. 49. So at 50 right now, I would go under and, and expect sort of a chess match between these two defenses. Yeah. The quarterbacks are pretty good. But I believe in these defenses to sort of hinder big plays and a lot of touchdowns. So I'm under 50 in the game.
0: Monday has a a uh, Christmas Day triple header, if you will, including a potential Super Bowl matchup. The last game of the day, the uh, top two teams in each conference: Ravens at the 49ers. San Francisco, which has just been beating the ever loving, you know what, out of pretty much everyone this year. They are five and a half point favorites. Over under is 46.5. What is this game telling you, Sam?
1: I don't have a single dollar on this one yet, Trey. Um, It's going to be a very popular one. I was actually looking at uh, two players on San Francisco because, you know, I really don't want to lay five, five and a half with the Niners. I I was hoping to get a little bit lower, like three and a half, four. And clearly that's not going to happen because the Niners are Super Bowl favorites right now. But let's look at Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel. They're both very, very decent red zone threats. And maybe decent is, is not strong enough of a word, (laughs) but they're touchdown threats every single time they touch the ball. Yet you look at their prices, Christian McCaffrey to score a touchdown is minus two twenty. You got to lay that to win 100. And I'm not really that interested in doing that on a routine basis. Look at Devo Samuels' price to score a touchdown: plus 105, plus 110. So that 100 wins me 110, and I I collect the 210. I would much rather bet Devo than McCaffrey. I mean, plus 110 and minus 200 is not even a conversation. You look at the total in this game: it's 47. That tells us we're going to get some scores here and probably more by San Francisco. So rather than mess around with laying points or playing around with the total, I'm going to take Samuel Samuel's score at plus 110. I think he's extremely live, and, and given the numerical comparison between him and McCaffrey, it's a non-starter, man. You, you can't be laying 200, 220 on guys to score touchdowns.
0: Love the zag there on uh, what I laid out. That's uh, that's why we have you on and talk to you every week about this. Now, one thing that I'll admit uh, that I need an explanation on is you showing a willingness to put money on the Falcons this week. It's one of your money picks. The Falcons are single point favorites at home against the Colts right now. Unfortunately for me, Sam, this comes down to Arthur Smith and having no faith in Arthur Smith's abilities as the head coach of this football team i mean they're six and eight right now which obviously they've won six games on the season but uh arthur smith is seems like he's aiming to lose his job at the end of the season so why do you like the falcons as point favorites
1: i just have to fade the noise man it, it is what it is i think sometimes you have to take these unpopular sides and yeah man you look at their schedule and they've lost five of the last seven games all of them have been close i know you don't get credit for uh for losing close games but you know five point loss three point loss two point loss four point loss two point loss it's not like they're getting railroaded in these games and I, I think Indianapolis is a great story right now but Trey let's let's also understand that the Colts have been playing with a backup quarterback backup running backs Shane Sykin's done a tremendous job having this team eight and six yet why is the 8-6 and six team an underdog to a 6-8 and eight team? Well, because the Falcons are still – they're still respected from a power rating standpoint. They have a whole lot of talent. Um, I just – I feel like this is the time to get on Atlanta. And, and you know it's going to be crazy, too. Atlanta wins this game. Then Atlanta goes into Chicago, could easily win that game against a bad Bears team. And then you could see the Saints and Falcons meet for the division on January 7th, which – It is amazing that Atlanta is still alive here, but it's just, it's buying low on, I think this game should be Atlanta minus three. I really do. And it Uh. comes down, sometimes, Trey, it comes down to numbers and not teams. And Atlanta at home should be laying more points to Indy. I'm sorry, that's just the reality.
0: Speaking of playing the numbers, Cleveland and Houston, it's an ugly matchup. Joe Flacco, the quarterback on one side, Davis Mills, the quarterback on the other Having said that, though, one of your four money picks this week is taking the over 40 in this matchup. Why do you think these two teams collectively will get over 40 points?
1: Because the desperation is real. These are two teams that sort of are taking a lot of chances right now. You know, they they have a lot to play for. Both of these teams believe that they have a chance to make the playoffs. And, look, I think we talked about this two weeks ago. Cleveland is, is basically playing the air raid offense with Joe Flacco. I mean, they haven't thrown the ball this much ever under Kevin Stefanski and Flacco. Say what you want about his age and his mobility. He knows how to read a defense, man. And he can look off safeties. He can find the right receiver. They are throwing the ball more than they ever have at Cleveland. And you look at their last few games. I mean, the Browns, yeah, they scored 20 last week, but before that they had 31 against Jacksonville. Uh, They had 33 against the Ravens a couple of weeks ago. They've been really taking shots down the field. And and Houston also, you know, I was impressed with the way Houston fought last week. You know, without Stroud, without a lot of their receivers. Now, they're going to get some of those guys back. You you won't have C.J. Stroud. Um, But I I do think, given the number, the 40 is is very, very low. It's not hard to get over 40, man. I feel like it's just, it's a bottom number that is just ripe to go over, like a 23-20 game. That's not a good game. That's an ugly game. That's still over 40. That's 43. So, given these teams' abilities and given their offensive philosophies, I think we go over 40 in Cleveland and Houston. It won't be popular. I understand that. But, look, sometimes you got to do what you got to do.
0: Thursday night game is pitting two 7-7 seven seven teams against one another who seem to be going in different directions, though. Saints at the Rams. Rams are four-point favorites, over under 46-and-a-half. I mean, you hold your nose if you play this game, but uh, is, is uh, this matchup telling you something one way or the other?
1: I like the Rams to win it, but there's another way to sort of get involved, if you will. Uh, Rams on the money line are minus 200, minus 210. you got to lay that to win 100, and I'm not going to do that on a Thursday night game. However, the Rams are minus 120 to make the playoffs. Okay, so the Rams win this game as a four-point favorite. That price goes to minus 190 or minus 200. So I'm going to try and get ahead of the Rams' win. I mean, they have one of the most efficient offenses the last few weeks. Stafford's really playing well. Uh, They're healthy on offense. You got Cup and Nakua on separate ends. And then Kyron Williams running the ball really well. The Rams hold the seventh seed right now. So they're in the playoffs if the season ended today. Just lay that number on them to make the playoffs. Assuming they win, and the numbers say they're going to win this game, that minus 120 goes a lot higher. So it's more of a future bet than anything else. But I do think the Rams are a playoff team. And Sean McVay gets a lot of credit in many years. This might be one of his best coaching jobs yet, given all the injuries, all the uncertainties. That team will make the playoffs.
0: Completely agreed. I thought they were going to tank this year. I thought this was the year that we really start to see them leveraging their future to win a Super Bowl a couple of years ago. It started to rear its head, but McBay is proving why he's considered one of the, uh, the best coaches in the National Football League. And Matthew Stafford, you know, his wife's complaining about him not connecting with. The younger players at the start of the year turns out that doesn't matter a whole lot. When uh, whenever his arm is healthy, he can still sling it around.
1: Yeah, and you look at the tiebreaker too. I mean, this is important. The Rams beat the Seahawks both times this year. Mm. Rams are currently the seven. Seahawks are the eighth. They have the same record, seven and seven. But the Rams have beat the Seahawks twice. And the Rams, I believe, will face the Saints. Yeah. Well, obviously, they face the Saints in this one. Duh. I'm looking at the standings right now. I'm like, <laughs> duh, idiot. Rams play the Saints here at home. So if you if you beat the Seahawks twice and you beat the Rams, you hold all the tiebreakers. So I I feel like Rams playoffs at minus one twenty is a, a solid bet given their pass and, and given their tiebreaker situation.
0: It is always a solid bet to listen to the advice of Sam Paniadovich, aka Sammy P lead sports handicapper at Nesson in Boston, contributes to foxsports.com, has the chicken dinner podcast. Follow him on Twitter at sbshoot and hear him on this show normally Fridays heading into the football weekend. This week it's a Thursday because of Christmas time. Sam, thank you as always for the time. I'm glad we could reconnect this season with the show being in a reasonable time here on 102.7 ESPN. I uh, I am thankful every day for your and my friendship, and I look forward to next weekend, buddy. Merry Christmas to you and your family.
1: Merry Christmas, my friend. All the best.
0: Coming up, and where are we at in society? Some guy went way overboard with these secret Santa bits. And now he's upset because he didn't get a good present in return. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie. Final segment of today's show means it's time for. Where are we at in society today? That's right. It is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism. It has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are starting to figure something out. But sadly, today is not that day. I have promoted a couple of different stories for today's Where Are We At In Society. I do plan on getting to both of them. We're going to start in the state of North Carolina with a guy that a lot of people around here are familiar with, former Texas Longhorns head football coach, Mac Brown. Mac has found himself in the news after some comments that he made yesterday that shows he's still dwelling on some things that surfaced with regards to his rival, North Carolina's rival, NC State, and their coach, Dave Doran. And some of the trash that was being talked in the locker room after NC State beat North Carolina 39 to 20 on November 25th to end their regular season. Let's start with Dave Doran's comments. Hey, you
1: know, it's been 1,460 days since those pieces of bleep beat
0: It's been 1,364 days since those pieces of bleep beat us. Been a while since North Carolina has been NC State. I'm guessing that's somewhere in the three-year range, three to four-year range. Just doing some basic math in my head. Well, these comments were aired on the ACC network after NC State's win, and Brown, in meeting with the media yesterday, decided to revisit the topic. Here's what Mac had to say, censored, of course.
2: Uh, secondly, in our last ball game <clears throat> with a rival school, after the game, the, the head coach of that school called our players a piece of and I apologize for that language. But I've never heard something like that before, and I, I'm disappointed. Uh, I thought it was classless. Uh, it's not true. Uh, number one, we didn't play well in the game. We didn't coach well in the game. That's been very well documented, and I got that. Uh, but you don't call kids a piece of And um, I've addressed it with our team. I apologize to them. Uh, These kids are one of the top academic groups in America. They got an award for AFCAs top 13. Um, They've won a coastal division. They've won a bunch of games. They've been to an orange bowl, been to five straight bowls. They represent us well. And from me speaking for them and their parents, they really didn't appreciate uh, being called a piece of (laughs) of Never heard that before. Um, and, and very, very disappointing.
0: Thank you, Mac, for clarifying that your team is not literally pieces of S. Appreciate that clarification there at the beginning. Never heard something like that before? Like, look, I, I can agree with you that it wasn't a great moment for Dave Doran, who was apparently not only pol- apologized in public, he called Mac personally and said, I am so sorry. Like, if I had known that cameras were rolling, obviously I would have uh, gone a very different route there. But it was a raw moment where we were really excited to beat our rivals, and it does not justify what was said. I'm very sorry about that. But Mac being Mac sometimes can't let things like this go. And so he responds to this just very base trash talk. Not even trash talk. They weren't trash talking anybody. They were just having a moment with themselves of going as dorky as humanly possible. Well, they're not pieces of S. I've actually apologized to my players for them having to go through that. You think your guys give a damn, Mac, that the opposing coach said that in what was supposed to be the privacy of his locker room? No, I guarantee you, because you would hear stories like this from time to time at Texas back in the day, where Mac is just being way too sensitive, grandfatherly. I don't know what you call it exactly, but he's just going really overboard with his reaction to something that's somewhat innocuous. And the players just roll their eyes like, all right, Mac, whatever. You prove the point that you're trying to prove right now. And we'll go about our business and hopefully not get our asses kicked by our rival next year for what may be the fourth or fifth straight year, thus rendering us pieces of S once again. But then he does what my lovely daughter does whenever somebody trash talk us, ch- talks her. I was talking with my kids about this a couple of weeks ago. They were like, so-and-so said this about me at school. I'm like, oh, yeah? I'm like, what do you do? Oh, well, I went and told the teacher. You went and told the teacher. Trash talk back. That's the easiest way to do this. Get creative. Get more creative than what they do. And so my lovely daughter, who is brilliant, maybe genius level IQ, she goes into smart kid trash talk whenever says somebody says something to the effect of, you're, you're dumb. Yeah, apparently the the G word has come back in elementary schools, so has, as has the R word. She doesn't use those words. But if somebody were to say that to her, she'd be like, oh, yeah, well, why do you feel the, na- way, the need to say something like that? Is there something sad going on in your home where you feel the need to try and tear other people down as well? That is a better trash talk than what Mac Brown is trying right now through the media. And he's doing it for effect, too, which you can tell because he said the S word three times in that press conference, by the way. Look, we're abiding by FCC rules here on Sports Day Plus, as does 1027 ESPN across the board. Can we loosen up on that one a little bit? It's not the F word. There are other words that I get why we are keeping those off the airwaves right now, but the S word? My religious mother was using the S word around my brothers and me back in the 80s and 1990s. I think the S word is one that we can release into the freedom of speech of things, at least with FCC stations. I feel like it's loosened up on TV now, too. I don't know about the network channels, but every other channel on cable, you can say the S word anytime you want to and not get in trouble. Not quite the case with the FCC, though, just yet. So, Matt, come on. Loosen up, dude. We're not pieces of S. Thanks. We appreciate you letting everybody know that your team is not a bunch of pieces of S or a singular piece of S, which makes it even more confusing. You don't need to apologize to your players. That is absurd. Stop being so hypersensitive about things, Mac. Your team started off pretty well this year and then suffered what way too many Texas fans are familiar with. That is a second half of disappointments, including getting blown out by your rivals. Be better at that, and you won't get called a collective piece of S at the end of the season or after that game. All right, I don't know how many of you are big Christmas people. I myself, I get called a Grinch at home. I'm not a Grinch. I just don't get into it as much as others. I try to take part. Got a little bit of a light show going on in front of our house right now. It's certainly not the most extravagant. Some would say overboard. But it's a point of pride for my family as we are driving home at night, turn down our street and we see Our Santa Claus, or excuse me, our snowman flexing his muscles, inflatable snowman, and the lights going around the yard and the garden beds. But that's about as far as I go. I support how great of a gift buyer my wife is. Apparently, my kids are becoming very good at thinking of great presents for people as well. But that's not my thing. I love the family aspect of it. I could do without the gift giving aspect of it, but kudos to those of you who are all about the gift giving about thinking about others and not really caring what is coming back to you in return. Well, there is having a positive mindset about that. And then there's taking it entirely too far. And there are certain people that I've seen with this whole Christmas secret Santa bit that are taking it too damn far. And we now have an example from TikTok, I guess, where a disgruntled guy proclaimed that he will no longer participate in Secret Santa at his work after he received a gift that he felt was pathetic. He did so on TikTok, as I mentioned. Quote, I will not be participating in Secret Santa anymore at my job or any workplace ever again. He said this while showing a small blue box and waiting for a reveal on the lackluster gift from his secret sender. This guy explains how everyone at his job was supposed to bring a gift, adding that he went all out for his secret Santa assignment. Quote, I put Christmas lights on the bag, Santa paper. I had all kinds of stocking stuffers in the bag. I put bells in the bag. The lady that I got went above and beyond. Excuse me, the lady I got, I went above and beyond. It's Christmas time. Some people don't even get a gift and Secret Santa sometimes, that person may just get that one gift, so I, may sure, I make sure always to go above and beyond. He then adds that everybody was instructed to put their bags down on the shelves before he was informed that his Secret Santa didn't come into work and he would receive his gifts another day. This guy eventually gets his gift, and what is it? Well, it's a handful of assorted mini chocolates. I get to work today, I get my gift, y'all. She hands me my gift, I open it up, and this is what I have. Now, mind you, the limit was 25 bucks. Now, I know Reese's, Hershey's, and Mr. Goodbar can be kind of on the expensive side, but this isn't $25. She spent a little bit of money on the bow in the box because the box is kind of fancy. But this is weak. Look, I'm sorry that you put way too much of your own personal worth into this secret Santa gift that you're getting for somebody else. But for some people, that is a nuisance. And there is an obligation, a pressure to have to participate versus there being a voluntary nature to it all. And so this person took the time to get that expensive box and the bow, and they put a bunch of chocolates in there, which, by the way, for some people, that gift is just fine. Maybe they don't keep candy in their house. Like what would be the case in my house if we didn't have a couple of kids and a wife who had more sense than to cut those things out altogether. But you, sir, well, I guess you got screwed. I guess he would agree with Dave Dorn that that other person is a piece of ass. All right, thank you so much for tuning in today. We'll be back tomorrow at 6. In the meantime, have yourselves a great rest of the evening and hook them. It's Sports Day Plus with Trey Ellie.